what I think we've seen is a bit of a switch. Obviously, this is now nine, ten days since the protest or occupation, you could even call it, got underway. And, uh, you know, some pundits and journalists, I think, initially were painting them as quite, uh, you know, quite a spectacle. So initially, they were trying to show people, look, this is something we hadn't seen before. We're getting a lot of sort of vignettes, a lot of anecdotes and, and bits and pieces. But in the last few days, I think it's shifted a bit. Because it's dragged on so long, people are starting to say, well, maybe we better understand the protesters a bit better and even negotiate with them. And I think just in the last, or this week, we've seen dizzying shifts. I mean, for example, the owner of the backbencher pub, you know, right there at ground zero, last week he was saying the worst protest I've ever seen, that he was called a Nazi and his business was effectively shut down uh, by all the protests. Today on uh, News Talk ZB, he told the early edition show that uh, he's been meeting with them. He described them as reasonable and focused, uh, the representatives. He blames Trevor Mallard and says, look, negotiations should get underway immediately. And it's quite hopeful that um, progress could be made. So that's a complete shift. But one, one other example that I picked out. So if we go back to Friday, TVNZ had focused, uh, featured a protester who, and this clip went viral. I'm sure you've seen it, the woman saying, my husband of 40 or more years got the booster shot, I'm leaving him, we're done. And she thought he was yes. going to die as a result of it. Pretty unhinged, right? Um, and on News Talks, you'd be in Christchurch, uh, the Christchurch Morning Show last Friday, the host, John McDonald, um, reacted this way. Now, I don't know why TV insists on putting nutbars like her on their news reports. Well, I do, actually. They do it because it captures people's attention. But if you've got your head screwed on, and you're one of the people either protesting at Parliament or cheering them on from the sidelines who was genuinely opposed to the vaccine mandates, then it must be gutting to see all the clowns getting all the attention. And I suspect, too, that a lot of genuine people who joined the convoy for part of the way but didn't go all the way to Wellington will be gutted to see how it's playing out. That's John McDonald, Colin. Sound a bit like uh, Mike Hosking. But from your observations, is is that a common view in the media? Not just a tiny minority, but the tip of an iceberg of, of say, national anger. Well, I think John was getting in a little bit early there. In fact, what he was referencing there, he'd read a column by Matthew Hooten in the New Zealand Herald that day, where he said these things. He said, you know, this is bureaucrats and uh, Wellingtonians can't quite understand or get a grip on the fact that there is uh, an anger, irrational as the protest and some of the individuals may be, that there is some sort of wider uh, anger and feeling going on that has um, you know, pushed out into this protest. So, but the, just this past week, the past couple of days, I mean, all their hosts uh, through Monday are all seem to be singing from this same uh, song sheet. So I've got just one other example of this was... Um, the drive show here, the Duke of Allen on Monday, she asked uh, the Herald's business editor, Fran O'Sullivan, who's a regular guest on the show, should the government meet uh, the protest leaders and try and diffuse things? And this was her response. I mean, not all those people on that lawn are crazy. There's a lot of people who are, you know, pretty ordinary folk who, uh, for one or another reason, uh, find themselves out of jobs. They don't necessarily want to be, um, uh, you know, vaccinated in some cases, and some just don't like the mandates and don't like freedom being imposed upon. Mm. So just saying that, you know, some of the quite rational people, they just don't want the vaccine and they seem to have lost their jobs. You know, it's, um, that's quite a shift because people weren't talking like that um, uh, from in, in the early part of last week where this was all a bit of a shock. 
and people were wondering, you know, where on earth this, how much momentum this really had, had behind it. So it's quite a shift. Has there been any pushback to that new view? Yeah, well, it's not just ZB. I, I don't mean to pick on them, but it was quite striking that throughout the Monday, this was uh, all, all their host, Mike Hosking, who you mentioned there, had uh, previously said, you know, he, he, he thought they were idiots and, and the protest was a complete waste of time on the Friday. By Monday, he was saying they represent wider anger about all the things going wrong in the country. So that sort of shift, but also um, not just ZB. Dr. Bryce Edwards, pretty familiar uh, media pundit on politics and a lecturer at Victoria University, which incidentally has been quite badly affected because they have a campus and a law school right down there where the protest is situated. Uh, he spent a lot of time uh, recording and posting videos. Uh, he was down at the protest every day and he appeared on Morning Report on Monday to say, um, in his words, um, the protesters were misunderstood. He said, look, uh, uh, they're bottom of the heap, mostly brown people, he noted. And he told either Morning Report or perhaps a separate interview on News Talk, uh, he thought they had been unfairly smeared as far right. And he said one of the problems here, unlike other protests we often see in and around the capital, it wasn't, in his words, marshalled by progressives. So it was uh, another political commentator um, in faraway Dunedin, not quite so close to it as Bryce Edwards, but he completely disagreed. Here's what he had to say. Bryce is absolutely wrong to gloss over the involvement of the far right. Uh, we have seen the involvement of counterspin media and we've seen involvement of uh, currents in society which I think the vast majority of New Zealanders will find mm. very uncomfortable. Okay. So, I mean, Bryce Edwards copped a lot of flack for that because um, he was accused of being kind of willfully blind to some of the extremism that was on show and embraced by some at the protest. And, you know, I don't think you have to look too far to see, you know, evidence of that. And um, Keith Singh, uh, who's a data journalist you now with the New Zealand Herald, but previously um, he had reported on extremism and far-right. And so he made an interesting observation on social media, which is that, you know, perfectly, people are perfectly capable of, uh, when they know they're being watched and they're in the public eye and in the media, uh, of, of hiding some of their um, views so that they know they'll be seen as illegitimate. So they stay quiet about certain parts of what they're prepared to support or express or reframe it as something else to gain legitimacy. But he thinks, you know, there's quite a bit of hiding of views going on um, and people aren't necessarily changing their views. And uh, in a similar vein, quite a robust clash on the 9 to noon politics slot, um, but similar to the Bryce Edwards versus Morgan Godfrey. Left-leaning Neil Jones um, clashed both with Catherine Ryan and uh, Bridget Morton, the guest, you know, from the right side of politics. Um, over his insistence, Neil Jones insisting that we, you know, we have to start discussing this. This has got a strong far-right element to it, that a lot of people there are delusional. It's an antisocial and, in his mind, uh, not legitimate protest, but quite a big uh, schism in the way people are viewing this whole thing. And the platform, the online radio station, uh, they've weighed in, as you'd expect. What have they got to yeah, say? Well, well, that's a new thing, isn't it? I know you've talked to Hayden um, in previous weeks uh, as... This um, beast created by Sean Plunkett to create a bit of choice in the media as he sees it, uh, Haven for uh, They've now, uh, they're not upstreaming yet, uh, but they've got a website going and they're starting to produce content. So a lot of it, uh, well, almost all of it is just opinion pieces at the moment, most of them on this very topic. And quite a few are now pushing that um, point of view that these are misunderstood protesters and there's an elite political and media class that uh, does not understand them. But when do the, when do they start talking? 
I don't know. That's uh, yet to be confirmed. But uh, as Hayden mentioned to you last week, Sean Plunkett did quite an in-depth interview with uh, Duncan Grieve of the spin-off, where there was an interesting um, back and forth between the two because uh, Duncan had said he'd heard reports that there were $3 million or some sum like that of backing from backers that um, Sean Plunkett was reluctant or um, unwilling to disclose. So uh, in the end, uh, he was challenged by others, such as journalist Bernard Hickey, like, you know, tell us who your backers are. You know, if there are people putting in huge sums who might have interests uh, that uh, breeders would want to know about, we have to know before we can take seriously your platform. But um, he's uh, just saying that there are supporters who won't have any editorial influence. So, yeah, we'll have to see once they get up and running on their streaming audio service. Here's one that affects us both, I suppose, public money for the media. Um, you've seen some new research into whether, whether it's really needed. That also is the, the only other topic, really, that uh, is exercising the platform as well. You see a couple of strident pieces about that. They insist they'll take no public money for this and probably wouldn't succeed if they applied for any um, from these contestable funds, such as the uh, Public Interest Journalism Fund, $55 million dollars. Uh, that the government announced uh, last year uh, that's going to flow through the media until 2023. Uh, but yeah, interesting, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, which oversees media funding, uh, commissioned a report from consultants in Auckland, completed in November, but only just released on its website quietly this week. And it effectively concludes there actually isn't any strong case for ongoing public funding of commercial uh, news content specifically because this fund, you know, for the first time really gave substantial amounts of public money to a whole range of media companies, big and small, that had never had public money before because they weren't, you know, involved in, in broadcasting or didn't have digital projects that were thought to be uh, suitable for uh, coming out of the general fund of, of New Zealand on air. Um, so the, the author's reports conclude it's had a mixed response from the news industry and they pick up on something that MediaWatch looked at earlier this month, which is uh, it's caused a bit of salary inflation due to a sudden rush of 100 more uh, roles for these new projects and funded things uh, and the things they've commissioned and also specifically in Māori and Pacifica journalism, a whole lot of new things created from this fund because Māori and Pacific projects were prioritised by the Public Interest Journalism Fund, and you know, there's a shortage of people to take on those jobs. So interesting that the authors of this have picked up on that because it's a problem I think they'll struggle to solve before the money runs out in 2023. And just finally, you wanted to talk about this week's sampler you've been listening to, and it got you thinking about music as a form of journalism, kind of. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I was trying to, I was desperately trying to sort of give media relevance to what was just a pondering about the nature of music, really. But uh, Tony Stamp did the stamp, uh, sampler, which I heard last night on Nights with Brian Crump, and he was looking at the rise of, I didn't, I didn't know it had this name, but uh, Sprechgesang, which in German I think just means spoken voice, a kind of uh, technique that's somewhere between speaking and singing. And one of the bands, he said, that was um, a leading exponent of this was dry cleaning. And... I was first exposed to dry cleaning by, by you because you closed one edition of Lately after a midweek media watch with a dry cleaning track. That's um, right. Yeah, and I, I can't remember the name of the track, but it was a woman talking about what sounded like quite a weird kind of night out that she'd had. And it struck me as like, this is almost like one of those 
first person, you know, personality opinion columns you read in a weekend paper, but set to a really cool backing track. Um, and it, it, it put me in mind of something that wasn't quite the same thing, but it's an old uh, kind of punk or post-punk outfit from the UK who are still going after 40 years. And they did a kind of tongue-in-cheek spoken word song, which was in the style of a mock news report. And it was a news report about how they create a rock song and over-intellectualize what they do. And uh, they got um, a legitimate arts reporter um, from Channel 4 in the UK, who was quite a well-known face in the UK, to uh, front the video, doing, doing the kind of lyrics. And in the video that you see when the band is talking, it's actually her kind of lip-syncing along to the actual um, band doing the song. It's quite funny. But have we got time to hear a, a, a little bit of that at the end of the song? Yeah, why not? Let's okay, so it's called, it's called Gales Dock, and it's by the, the Nightingales. And, yeah, I think Tony Stamp might like it for his, um, for his uh, genre of Splechtgesang. The Nightingales, he claimed, were more varied in their approach to music-making. This I found rather arrogant. All the more so when he boasted that his group believed they were sonically more interesting than most. I asked for further explanation, and with his band playing in the background, he said, Well, an old trick we usually use on each album is for the band to go quieter and quieter two-thirds of the way through the number while I mumble something over the top. Then I give them some kind of verbal or hand signal and they go loud again. It's always a crowd-pleaser. So we might as well do it now. <laughs> Good track. Yeah, I reckon more more bands should present their tunes as kind of mock TV news reports, um, or perhaps it's only media nerds like me that would actually really enjoy that.